Welcome to OT Unplugged, Community of Practice Insights. Join Sarah Collison, Nikki Cousins, and Elise Fensk as they talk about the latest news and emerging themes from the NDIS OT Community of Practice. In this week's episode, we chat about approval delays, pace, and naming legalities for OT practices. Welcome everyone to episode two of the OT Unplugged Community of Practice Insights podcast. Um, joined again today by Elise Svensk and Nikki Cousins and I'm Sarah Collison and we're talking all things OT and NDIS. We're recording this podcast on the 9th of February just so you can get a bit of an idea of the time frame for the topics we're discussing. But once again, we're going to be talking about what's coming out and about from the OT community of practice. What are some of the emerging themes and issues in the NDIS space and how we're all going to troubleshoot and collectively resolve them all together. So Elise, how's your week been? What's been happening for you this week? Oh, we have had an okay week at the office. I had a great team day last week with my team and we had a lovely time just to come together and remember about all the things that we've been building and working towards. So that's been really lovely. What about you, Nick? I've had a crap week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm making a concerted effort. I've said to you ladies before not to swear in this podcast because I've got a bit of a sale amount. I've had a really crap week. There have been no wins. There have been lots of challenges. I have yelled at a lot of people, which seems to be my 2024. Not my staff. My staff are amazing. Other people that we work with, suppliers who are really, really annoying me and doing incredibly frustrated. It takes a lot for me to really get cranky with people. And I am there this week multiple <laughs> times. It's just one of those weeks where I'm just so frustrated. Nothing's happening. No equipment requests are being approved. I submit complaints. The complaints aren't even getting addressed. I'm just frustrated this week. So I'm just putting it out there. Yeah, yeah, I can hear and feel that frustration coming through. And I think there's a bit of frustration in the group this week as well along similar themes. So we might talk about some of that in this episode. So look for me, what's my week? Like, I had a couple of wins. I went and saw a, a lift sign off this week oh. for a client of mine. And then I went back and looked at when I actually started the process and did her assessment and realized it's been three and a half years since my home mods assessment to completion installation of this lift. And I kind of knew it would take a while, but really now going back and looking, I've got, gosh, that's a long time to wait. I'm thinking with that, Sarah, though, like how quickly we're having turnover in the workforce. So if projects are taking that long, who's with them to completion? So many places we talk to, you've got people flicking over quite quickly, a year, two years here and there. Mm -hmm. So that's who takes that over, who picks that up, who's getting a clear handover to be able to follow those big projects through effectively. I think it's important to identifies well we get request we had another one the other day oh, i want um to do a home mod is it going to take longer than six months because if it if it does i'll do it privately i'm like i can guarantee you it will <laughs> take longer than six months we say minimum aim for a year but far out three and a half years we really need to communicate those time frames for people straight up don't we yeah. and then but it's so hard to know how long is the approval going to take and then we've got to do a da which in new south wales for those who don't know is a development application through council then the lift has to be ordered. And then, of course, the lift orders. And in Sydney, it rains for most of the summer. And so every time they go to try and install the lift, it can't be installed. So it is really hard dealing with these timeframes. And you're right, I, I can't hand these over. My team will say, why are you still managing clinical caseload? I'm like, because number one, I'd be doing you a disservice if I tried to hand this to you now. 
But I'd be doing the client a disservice as well. That continuity has to occur to ensure that this all goes to plan. I really feel for those practices out there where they do lose some of those key staff and then have to try and pick up where are they at and how do we get this on track and what's the background. Especially if they are sitting in that more complex space and maybe like we've said before, maybe the um, bigger organization isn't aware of the complexity of the workload that we're doing. So they don't realize that these things are incredibly complex and they do require multiple touch points and all those things. I spoke to a staff member just this week leaving a role, two weeks notice and they're out. So where's the handover happening if that's what the handover looks like. And I've had quite a few therapists I've worked with who quickly exit a role. And again, if you've got big things open like that, what happens to them? Where is the handover? Where is the accountability? Where does that end up sitting? Yeah, that makes it really tough, really tough. And look, I mentioned that one of the things that held up this one that dragged that three and a half years out was the time it took to get the NDIS to approve it. And we have seen a real increase in commentary in the group in the last week or so about a lot of delays with the processing of some of the applications that we're putting through. So I think that might be a good place to to have a chat about what's happening, why is it happening, and what are some of the solutions or ways that we can try and overcome that? Because I think, Nikki, you're having that same problem up at your way as well. I've had a crap week. (laughs) It plays a big part. Like yesterday, one of my beautiful clients, all my clients are beautiful, but one of my especially beautiful clients, they got a plan review done last year in November. All the evidence was there. The LAC came back. Yes, we funded everything as per, it's really important to realize it as per the OT recommendation. And it wasn't as per my recommendation. And we went back, I asked for, okay, the plan breakdown. And it was clearly an error in financial calculation. I'm like, I'm saying to clients, mom, they haven't added it up properly. Look, they've said they've funded this and they've missed so I wrote it all out, sent it to the LACC, see everything, because the client can't do this. So I'm writing it all out and I said, you have literally made an error on your calculator. You need to go back and look at this is what you need to change. This, this, this does not equal this. It equals this. And they just, they come back like a robot and they say, just start using your plan. And when you ran out of money, just submit for a change in circumstances. And I'm trying to explain to the client. That's not going to happen. That's not how it works. And so now we've gone, we went the complaint route. I had to draft the complaint from the client and her mother said, this is what's happened. We want you to review it because you've made a mistake. No response to you get, sorry, you get a complaint number meant to be resolved within 21 days. No response. So a couple of weeks after the 21 days, let's submit another complaint. You haven't responded to our complaint. Get a complaint number. No response. So then another one I've been working with, I submitted a, a mid-cost letter for an electric bed back in April 2023. Oh my gosh. And the lady came up, she had her plan review in November last year. And so I'm like, we well, submitted a new quote, right? We know it'll be done at plan review time. New plan came through, contest, where's my bed? And what did they say? Did they not approve it? Oh, they haven't addressed it. Okay. Can you contact them and find out what's up? No response. Submitted complaints. No response. Ended up the COS CC Bill Shorten's office. I'm like, wow, she's gone to the top. You get an email a few days later from the NDS. Hi, Bill Shorten's directed us to address this. We're going to address this urgently. You'll have a response next week. No response. We've sent it to Bill Shorten twice. Same thing. NDIS comes back. It's so frustrating. The only recommendation I have at the moment is to try your local member. If you've got a local member that's a rabid dog, that's the only way you've got. 
Uh, another one I had earlier this year, that the clients were so good. I was like, you be the squeaky wheel. Mm-hmm. You do not let up. If they say they will tell you by this day and they haven't, the next day. And that was okay because they had the planners direct email. Otherwise, you send it off to inquiry. It just goes off into a great abyss. This is why I'm so frustrated this week because there appears to be no avenue. This mum ended up, she went, right, we're a week off the three month to submit for a review. Let's submit an application for a review of a decision because otherwise we're going to, if they come back and say, no, it's right, we're going to miss the time frame. So we're literally trying all avenues and just nobody is contactable. And reason for that, Sarah, do you think it's pace? Look, I think it's a combination of things. I think pace is a big one. I think we have significant workforce shortage within the agency itself. And I think we've just come off the back of the December, January period where there's been a large number of staff on leave. But I do think pace is probably leading the way in terms of when all this kind of started and what might be causing some of these issues. So for those that don't know much about pace, and, and I should, like I always just refer to it as PACE, but it actually does stand for something. It's supposed to be something to do with the participant's experience being a good one. But what I've seen so far is that most participants haven't experienced much good stuff with PACE. So painful, aggravating, confounding and exasperating come to mind is a good way to describe it. That basically PACE is the new system that um, NDIS launched in October of last year. Even with the launch, it was a a, a half-hearted launch in that part of PACE rolled out, but then it was like, no, the rest of it's going to roll out sometime in February and we still don't know when in February. But basically anyone to be getting a new NDIS plan from the 31st of October has to get a plan, a PACE plan on the new system. And so of course, anytime you put in an AT or a home mods request, it generally triggers a new plan to be issued. So with all of these AT and home mods requests that are going in, the, uh, the planners are having to review the entire contents of the plan at the same time. And my understanding is that that's what's leading to a lot of the delays. Now, what I have from a couple of reliable sources, not the NDIS website, but Facebook, because that's the only place we can go to get information, <laughs> that uh, LACs might be our key here. So apparently the LACs are able to go in and upload documents directly into NDIS systems. So at the moment, what we're doing, we're obviously sending a lot of stuff to inquiries and we're t- it's taking about four to six weeks at the moment for anything to be pulled from inquiries. Yesterday, I saw a number that broke my brain that said there is a backlog of 26,000 emails sitting in the inquiries inbox. If I have 26,000 emails in my inbox, like I'm going to click on something and it's, I'm going to miss it. For sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, and then I'm those 26,000 probably includes people's out of offices and what sorts that have to come I through and then be dealt with. So not a great system, but apparently if you actually send, if your client has an LAC, if you send the documentation to the LAC, they can actually upload it directly into the NDIS system. And what I'm hearing is that they're then getting a much quicker time frame in terms of those being processed. I was talking to the client yesterday with this review. What about if the client uploads their documents into their own portal? Document? No, I don't believe that actually goes on to their record. So there's no way. It's like a black hole. It goes nowhere. That There's nobody in there that then plucks that and puts it into the NDIS system. So the LACs, if your participant has one, they would be your best point of call to go to to say, can you please get this onto the system for us? So, do you think, Sarah, does that also sit with the preferred provider thing? 
Like I wonder, you know how there's no, that. So, yeah. So let me explain how that works because that's been a doozy to try oh. and figure out as well. Okay. So the other thing that Pace has brought in is that, first of all, big thing, we no longer have the ability to create service bookings. Okay. Now, this is obviously a big concern to agency registered providers in that we can no longer quarantine funds for people who have a PACE plan on the portal. That means we don't have any guarantee of funding. We're at the mercy of participant or their family member. And and if they're overspending their budget, then that's going to likely impact us. But it does also impact participants who are plan managed as well, because plan managers also can no longer create service bookings. Okay. So they can't set aside and quarantine funds on behalf of providers either. Can now, I ask? Yeah. What, what was the purpose of this? Why? Why have they done this? Can I tell you what I think it is? <laughs> I think they want to track providers. I think they want to know who is delivering what service and they want to be able to see which providers are getting money from the agency. Can they not do that with oh. the ones? No, no, I don't. The no, plan managers just claim they wouldn't necessarily. So there was that bit where they used to say right. okay. for an ABN, but some they were saying some people didn't have ABNs. So then there was a couple of years where they were pushing that everything going to a plan manager had to have an ABN, but then that wasn't really trackable and they weren't really tracking that properly. But yeah, transparency, I guess. I think so. I think they've got such a massive problem with fraud that oh. this is actually the only way that they're trying. And that's why I think with the NDIS review, they're wanting to make all providers be registered in some way because they just have no way of rec- of actually tracking who is registered and who sits behind that registration at the moment, particularly for businesses that are just claiming direct to self-managed participants or to plan managers. They really have no way of being able to follow up and track any fraud that might be taking place. So my question to you is, okay, you and Sarah, I know you've had some PACE plans come through, haven't yeah. you? We have absolutely had clients with plans come through since the 31st of October that are agency managed, and we still do not have one that has a PACE plan yet. I think we've got a couple, so we're starting to get them, Nikki. So I'd say they're starting to roll through in our area as well. So the way you will see them is if you go and try and create a service booking on the current portal, you won't be able to create a service booking. So we get the message that says we can't make a service booking. Straight away, we know that they're a PACE participant, okay? Now, at this current point in time, 9th of February 2024, because things no, change so quickly, right? It doesn't make any difference in how, how we then claim for payment. So at the moment, even though a participant has their plan built in PACE, there are no payment claims running through the PACE portal. All the claimant pay, uh Payment claims are still running through the current MyPlace provider portal. So you can't make a service booking, but you can still claim. Correct. I can still claim. Most interesting. I can't claim as a single payment request. You can only claim using the bulk payment request. So if you're a provider that's not currently using the bulk payment request for agency managed participants, that's something you're going to have to bring into your process that you're not going to be able to do individual payment requests anymore. So at the moment... There's no kind of change or difference there, okay? Because even though we can't make a service booking, we can still make a claim for payment on the current portal. What will happen though is when the payment processing goes on to PACE in the new portal, which is called the My Provider Portal, for a provider to be paid within a reasonable period of time, so two to three days, we need to be listed as a My Provider under that participant's plan. 
So for participants who are plan managed, it is the plan manager that is listed as the my provider and they then make all of the claims for payment. So they only have to have one provider listed, which is the plan manager. Now, I would maybe watch that space. I suspect at some point the NDIs are going to want to then see any providers that are claiming from the plan manager because they're going to want to see who else is actually claiming from that plan via the plan manager. Now, for agency managed participants, though, so we have to be listed as the my provider. They did initially refer to it as an endorsed provider, but they've taken that away just to make it a bit more easier for um, clients to understand. Now, if I'm listed as a my provider, it means I will get paid within two to three days. Okay. So because the participants are already given the go ahead that I'm okay to be paid. If we're not listed as a my provider though, the NDIA will send a text message to the participant or their nominee to say, is it okay to pay for this provider for the claim they've made? Now, if they don't receive a response to that text message, the agency then has to open a claim and investigate the payment request that's been put through. And if they're satisfied that it's okay to pay, they will then pay it, usually within 10 working days. So now, like 80% of our participants cannot no. or open it or understand a complex text. We like, can't get a service no, agreement no. signed. How are we going to get this next bit done? Exactly. But even the process of getting us added as a my provider yeah. can only be done by the participant or their nominee calling the NDIS 1-800 number and requesting that that provider be added. Can you imagine how many providers some participants will have? Yeah. And they've got to then call the agency every time they need to add a provider to get them added. It's just such a labor-intensive process. We're not really going to chat on this today, but like thinking about that pricing review paper, the amount of admin required to support NDIS participants over every other scheme is insane. We have someone dedicated to just doing service agreements for clients. That is it. That is their job to skill them up, support them, chase them up, spend all of that time doing, trying to get things signed, mm-hmm. make sure that everything's above board. That's a full job. Yeah. And that's, where does that money come from? That's great yeah. to say we've got these new systems, but they're admin intensive. They are. Like we've just changed a whole bunch of processes internally to prepare for this because I'm like, we're already starting to see these clients come in, right? I know that we don't need to be a my provider right now, but if the NDIS say, right, it's rolling out on Monday, we need to be listed. So we're now having to create communication templates to go out to the participants and their nominee because even the support coordinator can't do it. So the support coordinator is coming back and saying, the NDI won't accept me calling. It has to be the participant or the plan nominee. So it's just so short-sighted in terms of the capacity that a lot of our cohort actually have to do this. So what about our clients? We have several clients who are under the public guardian. The public guardian won't even sign service agreement for us. Is the public guardian really going to call up the NDIA and say, can you add this provider? So we have one like that where the participant's actually in jail at the moment and we haven't been able to resolve it. It's just sitting there stalled. We we won't progress the referral because we just don't know that we're going to get paid. We can't get this agreement signed. ones where you can't get them that, so that wouldn't then pay you in the 10 10 days time or whatever? So it it would, but my concern is... Hold on to too many. If you hold on to too many, it's a big risk to take in terms of cash flow. But my other concern with that is we know that service bookings can't be created, so nobody's quarantining funds. 
We also know that PACE plans are locked by duration. So even if someone gets, say, a two-year plan that's worth 200 grand, they can actually only use 100,000 each year. The, the plans are locked. So a lot of participants would be used to actually having quite large plans where they maybe have a lot more flexibility over how they use that fund over that two-year period. My worry is that if I take that risk of not being a my provider, I'm waiting the 10 days, it gets to the 10 days and they say, oh, the participant's got no funds left. Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there with a $1,000 invoice that's unpaid. So my business has made the decision that we will only proceed if we are listed as a my provider. Because if there is going to be an issue with no funds, I want to know about it before 10 working days. I want to know about it within two to three days. So incredibly tricky to navigate if you are not putting those sort of safety steps in place when you're first picking up these clients. Like it's hard when you've got active caseload and we'll have to navigate that. But these are going to have to be steps. I was just thinking about you, Sarah, where you guys are primarily mobile. How do you then chase them down? How do you get them on the phone? If we've got them in coming in the clinic, that's often how we finally get that service agreement signed. Yeah. But we've, oh, it's just so short-sighted. Yeah. And look, we've just made the call. We're not even allocating to the therapist until yep. we see that signature back on the service agreement. There's just too much financial risk. So have you added into your service agreement that they consent for you to be in my place? Uh, my no, and we're kind of doing it that as a separate email because even if they give us that consent, yeah, it's not recorded on the NDI system. So we actually need them to physically contact the NDIA and get us recorded. So we've got okay. a okay. separate email communication that's going to go out about, okay, this is what we need you to do. Please call the 1-800 number. Please request. This is our organization ID. Please ask for us to be added. And then we can go onto the new portal and actually see what's yep. on the portal. The other thing I would add about PACE that I've also discovered is you can no longer see plan dates. So oh my long God, way, Beth, if, we, if someone doesn't tell us what their plan dates are, we can always... Nobody knows their plan dates. No, sure. exactly. But I can look up on Prona mm. and mm. see the plan dates. Mm-hmm. does not exist on PACE. You cannot see that unless you are a support coordinator or a plan manager. So we're also having to go back to people and say, okay, can you just give us your new plan dates? I don't want us to sound like we're just whinging and complaining, but there are these frustrations and it's what are we, how are we going to come up with processes to address that? And as you say, Elise, we're just going to need more admin. Like it's just another kind of admin another uh, cost. I've yeah. talked to a lot of therapists who are running their own businesses who have no idea paces even in the works. There is a lot of therapists out there who are just head down, working hard, doing what they need to do. And there's these significant changes coming in front of us that you actually do need to be really mindful of. Sarah and I were chatting last year. We had some people asking, when will we hear about price changes? When will we hear about this? If you're running a business and you've got staff, you need to stay on top of this stuff. You can't magically stay on top of it. There's nothing easy to stay on top of, but to know that there is risk ahead. Like we're in a quite a risky time in a business space. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that probably will be the topic of our next episode is we're we're going to talk about the pricing review because the Mm. documentation has been released to the annual pricing review. There is an opportunity, obviously, to put forward the case for Allied Health. I'm seeing a lot of discussion amongst the peak bodies. Errata are putting together a submission. A lot of the big organisations, the larger providers are putting their own submissions in as well. But it's okay for individual OTs to also, or smaller providers, to put submissions in as well. The more that the NDIS hears about what some of the challenges are with pricing, the better. And I would add, particularly for those in regional and remote areas, that 
are often struggling with the cost of travel and but wanting to still be able to support participants, the NDIS needs to hear those challenges too. And the actual questions in it, when you do have a look, they're only asking for 12 months of data. And I would just probably encourage you to be a little bit more general with your information. So it's like, what are your increase in business costs in the last 12 months? Well, that's probably stabilized. But if we look over three years, it's insanely different. And we're in that same price point. So don't be too generous when you're saying, oh, it's pretty similar. My rent hasn't changed because I'm on a fixed rate, but let's think about all the other things that have gone up and increased in price as well. What's the due date for that to be submitted? I'll check, but we'll review that next week. We'll go through each of the questions. We'll talk about some of the responses. Um, Now, the other thing that kind of we've been seeing in the group as well, is just a bit of a concern around some of the cutting of um, some of the sort of support coordination hours for people as well. So are you guys seeing that with some of your participants? I've seen people not getting it that are early on in their, or I've been on the NDIS for five years and have asked for it every year because they're not using their plan because they have no idea what to do and they're not getting it. AAT for me now. <laughs> Take it to the AAT. But I mean, that's even that's not, I mean, because you've got to go for a review and then to, and how long is that taking at the moment? Well, yeah, that's the hard part, isn't it? Once you make that decision to go down that section 100 pathway and towards the AAT, you know that you're in for a really long, bumpy ride. I, I must say the ones we've had though, never go to hearings. They don't even go to initial mentions because always every case, I've heard you talk about this before, Sarah, if we recommend something, we are a hundred percent behind that recommendation. So it comes back. Every one of them, they go to AAT. We're like, do not submit any extra information because this is very clear. Mm-hmm. Wait to ask you. Every one of them comes back before the initial mentions and says, oh, yes, yeah, sorry. We've reviewed that 100%. We've, had, we've had a couple of kid ones that have gone up, not around significant stuff, but again, thinking about parental capacity. One of my families came back and she was talking to me. She's yeah, right. like I. They just asked me all these questions, and I tried to answer it myself. I'm like, did they not suggest that you got legal support because this is actually a legal proceeding, and you don't have capacity to go up and answer these things? You should be getting your therapist to re-. like the process was just so poorly administered for this particular family. Just so tricky. I was going to say support coordination wise, because we tend to have the younger clients, we've only got a handful that do have support coordinators involved. But we find we tend to absorb that support coordinator role. So another big part of that admin service piece is it key workers at support coordinator in that pediatric space. But we do all of this stuff. We connect you with everyone. We make sure you know how to use your plan and how much money you've got and helping you to navigate through everything. And let's cancel us so you can access these other people. Sarah, do you find you do that in the adult space, Sarah? Constantly. It just falls on us to become that almost case manager type role and it's really hard because we know we shouldn't be but at the same time nobody else is doing it and if it doesn't get done the participant doesn't get what they need or they're at risk that's the other thing I think we haven't talked about with some of these delays that we're seeing with AT and home mods and SDA and SIL or or not having funding for support coordination we're actually placing participants at risk here Mm-hmm. Uh, like at what point is the 5,000 complaints that you have to make to Bill Shorten's office or to the end actually going to result in anything? I know we've had a lot of talk last year about the commission and how poorly the commission were doing, but it seems like it's just spread around to everything mm-hmm. else or they've all mm-hmm. just become so overwhelmed that they're not able to be effective in any way. We had an absolutely appalling case with the um, commission last year 
where we had actually, our OT had made a complaint to the commission concerns about the vulnerability of a participant. We were then removed by the support coordination agency at the time. We eventually got a follow-up from the commission about eight months later to say that they were going to investigate it. And we're like, oh, okay, that's great. And then they rang back the next day and said, oh, we're closing it. The participant died six months ago. And we were just, what happened to them? Like we made a complaint because we were concerned about their safety. We made a complaint to Bill Shorten's office about the handling of the complaint by the commission. They sent our complaint to the commission who called us to say, but we've closed that complaint. Why are you complaining again? And we're like, no, no, we're complaining about your handling of the complaint. But yeah. they just didn't get it. And we, it, it was heartbreaking. Absolutely. It shocking. Let me talk to you about this. Okay. So in the group today, it was a very early morning post. I'm often up early cruising Facebook. That's just what <laughs> I do. And I saw this post. I'm going to have to find it now. But it was a, a survey that is being done by OT Australia regarding the registration of business names for OT practices. Now, apparently, as I was not aware of this, apparently in Australia at the moment, the current business naming laws do not recognise occupational therapy and OT as the same for business naming purposes. So essentially what this means is that a business can register an almost identical name here legally in Australia, and it is then left to the individual businesses to try to resolve that. So Let's say for, and there's a great example that this is a post by Sarah King in the group that says, let's say Lala Occupational Therapy has a business pop up down the road from them called Lala OT. There's absolutely nothing that will be done about that because it is not recognized in the legislation that those are two similar business names. Just throwing down a little note for myself. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, this morning I was on the ethic website and I've registered. Register, register, register. Occupational therapy is now registered along with VAMOT because there's nothing to stop anyone from doing that. And what's really interesting is that this schedule in the legislation does identify that terms like physiotherapy, physio and PT are considered the same. Oh, wow. As are other non-professional titles like beauty therapist and beautician. So apparently this was raised with OT Australia last year after this particular OT discovered that another business name was registered using the same but just made it occupational therapy instead of OT. And so OTA are doing a survey about it to get an idea about, well, how prevalent is this and is this something that needs to be advocated for? Oh, well, if they're doing a survey... Well, (laughs) I did follow up with OTA about the workforce project Mm -hmm. survey after we spoke last week. Very exciting news. They have just signed off the approval of everything. We should be seeing a launch on the outcome of that project in the coming weeks. There's a number of strategies and recommendations that have been made. So I'm quite excited to see what comes through. So yeah, we'll see something from OTA in the next few weeks regarding the workforce issue. But if there are any businesses out there who've experienced this where another provider has opened up using very similar business name, OTA do want to hear about it. So yeah, Nikki, Mm. I don't know if that did lift your mood. You might want to get onto ASIC and just have a look. Uh, Just another area of concern, Nikki. You guys know last year as well, they changed the website domain. So in Australia now, it's .au. Yes. So when you're registering for your website domains, you need to also get the .com.au plus the .au plus anything else that you think somebody might take from you and redirect traffic away. 
Like it's just, we only found out my domain's hosted by our IT people. And I was like, do you guys know this is happening? Like, don't know anything about it. Oh, I would really like to know this is happening because we're actually having to transition all, everything's moving to this .au business. But yeah, it's a challenge. And I have, they talk about this a lot in the private practice space, I guess, with the name registrations. Because it's hard. A lot of people trademark their names, but trademarks can be tricky to get through as well. So it's quite an interesting area. Mm. I tried to trademark the OT coach. You can't because it's too general of a term because right. it's the coaching piece in it. But I cannot trademark my Sensational Start company. But I couldn't I trademark Sensational Start as a training because, again, it's indicating that I might be providing a sensational education and that is not able to take that term away from other people's. All right. Well, that probably brings us to the end of our themes and issues that we wanted to chat through today. Lots happening in the space. We are going to talk next week about pricing. I was going to say, I'll try and be happy on next week. I don't. (laughs) Let's hope you get some wins early on in the week. (laughs) Um, We do have the supervision list being updated in the group at the moment. So if you are providing supervision and you want your details updated, if they are on there and you'd like them updated, please add your new information there. If they're fine, do not worry about touching it. But yeah, that's another thing that we've got in the group happening at the moment. Excellent. And I think you both have actually got some training coming up around supervision as well. Do we do? I'll be launching in a couple of weeks. And what's yours about, Nikki? So mine's going to be training for therapists to become supervisors and team leaders themselves. We discovered with all the work we did last year, there's a lot of OTs, four or five years old, really keen to become supervisors and managers themselves and there's just no training in that space well there is but it's very very costly and difficult to access which will be covered in the training so out for that one coming up through the ot's training site and yours elise and i am running a how to get the most out of your supervision sessions so targeted at therapists and thinking about your personal learning style and how to get the most out of the supervision opportunities that you've got offered to you All right. Well, thank you, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to OT Unplugged Community of Practice Insights. Join us for next week's episode as we chat about the NDIS pricing consultation paper and client visits gone terribly wrong.